0: Um, I'm also mindful of, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of you are too, of the violence that's occurred in Gaza, and I was thinking about that a lot as I was looking at this material, and um, just the, you know, how, how much conflict there has been around even the understandings of the promises that God gave, and, and then the, the sadness of the violence that we see ensue around, the identity of a people that, have for so long tried to make sense of their identity in relation to their land. And, you know, so I just know that we want to be (coughs) mindful of them in prayer and um, pray for resolution to that seemingly impossible, impossible to resolve conflict, right? Um, Okay, so I want to um, just do a really brief review of where we have been so far. So we started by looking, especially for those of you who are visiting we're looking at the kind of large, sweeping scope of the biblical narrative, and we're using uh, one of our colleagues, John Mark Hicks's book, "Around the Bible in 80 Days," um, to think through it. So, if you're interested and you want to get a copy of that book, it's a it's a helpful one. Let me know if you'd like to be on our uh, the mailing list about how we're going through that book. I'd be happy to share that with you. Okay, so we start in Eden, where God. Um, Obviously, speaks the world into existence, calls um, for order out of chaos, and in the midst of the creation places a garden, where um, he places two people, Adam and Eve, who he blesses and he gives, he commissions them to a vocation. Their vocation is to set the world in further order, um, to partner with God, to order the chaos, and to expand Eden, so to speak. Okay. So um, all, that's how we're understanding the vocations that they have been given, um, You know, to multiply and uh, be fruitful and fill the earth. And uh, what they're doing is they're filling, they're supposed to be filling the earth with more images of God, because they are image bearers. Um, but in order to pursue this vocation, they have to pursue the path of wisdom. And of course, what we know is that they don't do that. Instead, so they pursue the path of folly, which is the path of kind of, Uh, self-making, idolatry. Um, So as a result, they kind of, instead of following their their path into greater increasing wisdom and godliness, they follow a path into a kind of downward spiral. We talked about this in terms of a kind of tumble um, away from their vocation that can increase, right, in this kind of increasing unholiness, so to speak, until the earth is eventually filled with violence. And then we have God's intervention in the form of the flood, so we looked at that and how um, there's, this is a moment of recreation. This isn't God giving up on the creation. It's God saying, I have a will to redeem all of this, to set it to rights, and I'm pursuing this way of doing it. So Noah is sort of like a new Adam. Um, he and his family are like, start, they're, they're the family that's starting over. But of course, um, what we see as a result of this is that humans uh, need some sort of redemption other than Like, just remaking the created world, in a sense, won't do. That humans are still broken and fallen. And so we're going to need some other mode of redemption, right? And so, um, and we see that that's really kind of brought out in a stark way at the Tower of Babel, where people think that they could build some sort of monument to themselves. This is a kind of moment of empire building, right? Hi, there's two seats right up here, if you want to come on. Sorry to embarrass you. (coughs) <coughs> so um at Babel, we see people trying to kind of build a monument to themselves, right uh let us create in our own name rather than in you know kind of for the for God's glory, it's creating for ourselves, kind of building our own our own reputation uh, so God, in a kind of moment of grace um that might feel like punishment, but it's actually a means of grace um Scatters the people; they can't understand each other anymore. He, he, you know, mixes up their languages, so they're scattered, uh you know, abroad. They are not able to work together anymore to do this kind of empire building. And God's protecting them from themselves that way. Then, right after that, we have this beautiful story of this person, Abraham, who God calls out, and God says, "Follow me. I have this destiny for you." And Abraham is faithful enough to do this. Um, in this, you know, ancient Near Eastern setting, that's a remarkable act of faith. Um I, I heard this somewhere and I thought it was a useful way of understanding exactly how faithful it was that Abraham did that. Um, you know, for us we think of you know Abraham remaining in his father's house. In our context, that sounds like you know, the grown son still living in the mom's basement, not, not exactly what you want, right? But in in this setting, it was absolutely the the like duty of the son, so to speak, to stay in his father's home. And that's what you did, right? You kind of, um, your father would have, would be the patriarch of this big family and the sons and their families would stay and sort of carry on the work of the father. Okay. And sort of expand his, um, you know, domain, so to speak, or his, his power or his influence. And it was all about, um, you know, responsibility as a son would be to stay with that. It would be unheard of in a lot of ways to move out and move away from that. So it was a real act of faith on Abraham's part. He's moving away from his very kind of, um, his safety, his social safety net, so to speak, right? He's moving out of that and saying, I trust you, God. I'm going to move into this unknown with you. And God says, I am going to make your family um, a family that's going to bless all peoples of the earth. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to ensure that um, this blessing comes through you. I'm going to increase your family and bless all peoples of the earth through you. Um. Okay, so we left there that um, in a sense what we see is Israel is another kind of recreation moment. This is another, in some sense, we talk, we kind of left off with this idea that Israel is like a new Eden. So we're going to kind of say more about that today and look at how, like, what the gifts are that God is giving them to help them live into this vocation. Okay, so um, we know the story. We we know about how um, Abraham's family increases and his son and grandson, right? This family kind of gets bigger and bigger. Eventually they end up in Egypt and then what happens? Something something bad happens after that, right? That's right. They become enslaved. Okay, so um, there's this Really important aspect of what it means to be Israel is this memory of having been enslaved. You, you were once an enslaved people, and then God brought you out of slavery, brought you through the Red Sea into, uh, towards the Promised Land. Okay, so Exodus 19.3, starting there, um, says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. Where are they now? On the other side of the Red Sea. This mountain, there it's Sinai, that's right, yeah. Okay, so God God called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the people's. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. Okay, so you hear here, again, this is a sort of like a repeated refrain in the story, right? Um, that you are going to be uh, a priestly people for me. So we saw that already with Adam and Eve. They are a priestly people. They are called to a sort of priestly vocation in creation itself. But then, what we see is now that that sort of that vocation gets shifted and kind of fine-tuned in such a way that Israel functions as the priestly people among the people, not just in creation. Um, that sort of uh, you might think of the the priestly vocation as one that all humans share, but Israel has this special priestly vocation among people. Okay, are y'all with me on that? Are you following what I mean? Okay, good. So um, this is the way uh, John Mark sums it up, in, uh on page 62, if you are reading in that book, he says, God liberated Israel from slavery through God's creative power. The story of the crossing of the Red Sea is filled with creation language. So this is a new creation moment, right? From the chaos of the waters, God defeated the imperial powers arrayed against Israel, baptized a new people into Moses, and brought them safely through the waters into a new land. The Exodus birthed a new people. Israel was created to serve as the renewed image of God in the world. In this sense, they were a new humanity. God rebooted the divine intent to fill the earth with the glory of God by forming a people who would embody God's values and live in covenant relationship with God. Okay, so uh, I think that sums it up really nicely. This is a holy nation set apart, But remember what's emphasized here, um, back in Exodus 19, verse 5, the whole earth is mine, says God. So all along that is punctuated that this is about blessing all of the earth. That's the trajectory here. So uh, the whole earth belongs to the Lord. God doesn't forget about the rest of the world, but Israel is to represent God to the nations. The nations should be able to look to Israel and say, okay, there's something different here. They have a different God, and they live differently as a result of that. Okay, so this is their call as a nation. So I want to focus um, kind of our attention then on what is going on uh, when Paul talks about the gifts that were given to these people to fulfill their task in Romans 9, verses 1 through 5. So if you want to look there. In fact, will someone read that for us? Romans 9, 1 through 5. i am speaking the truth of christ i am not lying my conscience confirms it by the holy spirit i have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for i could wish that i myself were cursed and cut off from christ for the sake of my own brothers and sisters my own flesh and blood they are israelites and to them belong the adoption the glory the covenants the giving of the law the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, comes the Christ, who is over all, God-blessed forever. Amen. Thank you. Okay, so here we have Paul um, kind of reciting this and giving us this kind of picture of the, this sort of panoply of gifts that were given to Israel to fulfill this vocation, to be this priestly people. And, and what's interesting is he's talking to Christians, so he's reminding us that we inherit these gifts as well, as those who inherit the vocation that was given to Israel that's now been, uh, we've been adopted into it because of the Messiah, right? So um, this matters for us too, in other words. This isn't just about Israel, it's also about us. So it's worth thinking a little bit about what exactly these gifts entail. So I want to do that really quickly, and then I'll pass the baton to Mark. Um, first of all, I think uh, it's interesting to note that he calls um, the people here in verse 4 Israelites rather than Jews. And I think this sort of is a way of evoking their story, right? Their heritage. And um, this is about the story to which they belong. And these are the gifts which the church inherits as the renewed Israel. Okay, so what belongs to them? First of all, the adoption. Um, this is an important concept because. Uh, Remember, Abraham is chosen. Now, he's a good guy, he's a faithful guy, but he's not chosen out of his merits. I mean, that's one thing that's emphasized is that God chooses Abraham out of God's favor, right? It's God's graciousness. It's not because Abraham necessarily earned it. Um, So there's an adoption happening here. These people were adopted by, by way of God's love. And inheritance goes along with adoption. That's a really important concept as well. Um, and that, that word inheritance is repeated over 500 times in Scripture. So um, we'll think about that a little bit today if we have time. But one thing that's, that's an important piece of that is this idea that Abraham is the heir to the cosmos. Um, in Revelation, the people who overcome trials are said to inherit the heavens and the earth. So um, this inheritance is certainly tied to the land. It's also tied to the fact that there's this coming inheritance that's this, it's looking to the eschaton, right, to the very end when God will fill all things. Okay, um, also belongs to them the divine glory. Now, um, I'll be interested to hear if Mark has any way of illuminating this a bit more. My understanding of this it, You know, this is a very kind of pregnant word. It can bear a lot of meanings. Um, It can refer to the function of Israel to image God, um, the glory that God's allowed them to image, okay? It can also refer to the presence of God coming to be with us. So the Shekinah glory, um, this idea is that Israel was blessed with this special kind of God coming to dwell, showing up and dwelling with them in certain ways and these are these moments of glory. So you think about when, for example, Moses encounters God at at the top of Mount Sinai. This is a moment of glory. And there are these, you know, there's like thunder and lightning and earthquake, right? There's this clear moment like God showed up. And Moses alone is the one who can go and be in God's presence this way. And... Um, And there's these other moments where God can show up and this glory will shine. It'll be this uh, occasion of transformation, okay? So um, I think Israel has this real sense of that being um, a blessing that was given to them in a special way to empower them for mission, right? Um, And I think we can think of this as how they're going to hear it. They're going to think back to Eden and how God showed up and walked uh, with Adam and Eve in the garden, this is a special kind of privilege to dwell with God in a special way. the special encounter with God's glory. Okay, there's also the covenants. Now, it's important for us to think of uh, what all this entails. For Israel, they're going to think about, well, there's, um, of course there's Noah's covenant. We've, we've talked about this, um, what happens on the other side of uh, the flood, right? The covenant God makes is that I will no longer... I will never again destroy the earth this way. I'm not going to pursue redemption this way. I'm going to set my bow in the clouds as a sign of that. Um, but for, for Israel, the special covenants are going to start with Abraham. And it's this promise to be with you, to make your family great, to bless all peoples of the earth through your family. Um, there's also going to be the, covenants, the covenant made with Moses, okay, which is um, especially kind of symbolized by the giving of the law that's this way that God's going to show up and be with the people and guide them um, and then there's the Davidic covenant um, which do you remember what the Davidic covenant entails anyone yeah. to who, his family, that would somebody that's right that's right that the Messiah the the kingly figure who will reign forever will come through the line of David this is a really important uh, moment in this kind of unfolding of the Covenant promises as well mm-hmm. Okay, the key to all of these is this promise, which is relational, uh, where God is the primary actor, God is faithful, and will bring about the fulfillment of the covenants. Okay, and then um, another thing that's listed is the giving of the law, or the Torah. Now, um, this happens at Mount Sinai, and it's a, you know, I just mentioned it, but it's a special mode of God's presence among the people. And the thing to, I think, be aware of here is that the goal of the Torah is to create a just community. It's to create the kind of community, again, where people look and say, this is a different kind of people. Um, They have a different kind of God. Okay, so for example, this is supposed to eradicate poverty, um, to protect people that are vulnerable, um, to give the land rest from being overworked, right? Um, So it's supposed to guide Israel towards the goal of embodying the image of God in the ancient Near Eastern world. I mean, it's somewhat obviously limited to that context. Uh, so we think of Christ as the full revelation of God's intent for just community. But, that's a, but, but in the ancient Near Eastern context, the law gives us a pretty good picture of what it means to live an alternate life as God's people. Okay, um, the worship is also given to them. This has to do with temple rituals, liturgy, the rhythms of Israel's worship. Um, These are elements that are supposed to interrupt the chaos of life and call them back to order. I'm calling them to remember and be grateful for what God has done for them. (coughs) to confess their sins, to remember who God calls them to be, and think we you know, it's good for us to think about how our church services should function this way. <coughs> this is supposed to interrupt the chaos in our lives, to call us back to who we really are, to call us to worship, right? To call us to confession. I mean, I think we need sometimes we we like to forget about some of the aspects of what Israel was doing as maybe what we need to be doing. We need to be doing more confession, more lament. Right, we, we, It's like we pick and choose the parts that fit best with what our, our feelings are about how worship should be instead of really learning from them. So I think there's some work to be done there. Um, the promises that have been given to Israel are also listed. These are these covenantal promises, right? Land, the blessing of all nations. Um, God's promises accumulate in the history of Israel. I think that's interesting. That's why I'm tracing this kind of unfolding of God's relationship with them is so helpful. Uh, They all say that God is interested in, invested in the outcomes of the people. Okay, so they also have the patriarchs, through whom come the Messiah. Of course, the story of the patriarchs is such an orienting point for their identity. And then the Messiah is, of course, the climax of the story, right? The one who God is um, bringing to kind of fulfill all of the covenant promises, the one who is going to be the window into this new covenant. In fact, I wanted to be sure and include that. Uh, There was this anticipation they had of a new covenant. This is in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. So that's a really beautiful kind of reminder of what they where they thought the covenants were going. There was this new covenant, this expectation that something new was coming. And that's what we see fulfilled in the Messiah and the outpouring of the Spirit. Okay, so I'll hand it over to Brother Black.
1: Like it says, Dwight? <laughs> You know, I was greeted uh, when I came into the building today, and I don't remember his name. John Henry? Yes. Yes. Okay. And so, introduced myself, he said, Brother Black, and I said, I'm so glad to hear that (laughs)
0: language,
1: because I grew up with that, and I think it's important, unless it just becomes uh, a title or something, but uh, we've lost that, and I don't know, kind of like it uh so uh and you're certainly my sister. Uh, and, all right, let's talk a little bit. Um the the whole subject is Israel. And so we're we're moving through the Bible obviously after Adam and Eve sort of failed uh and then uh, Noah and the flood, but rebuilding sort of failed and so we go to Abraham, and Abraham is the beginning of Israel, all right? Abraham is the one who was told, uh, you're going to have lots and lots of descendants. <clears throat> They're going to become a great nation. I'm going to give you a wonderful piece of land. Well, a piece of land. If you've been to Israel, it's not a wonderful piece of land, but I'm going to give you a piece of land uh, for this nation. And then this is going to be the nation that blesses Uh, all other nations. That was the plan from the beginning, and uh, I I think it's probably important to remember one of the differences between old Israel and new Israel. We're going to talk about new Israel in a few minutes. They were to be a people who was basically, uh, there's boundary around them to keep others from coming in, to keep them from going out because of the values of the rest of the world, Um, and so for them to be who they, God called them to be to bless all the nations, they had to remain holy, which meant not mixing with the nations. And as we'll talk about even more when we get the New Testament, that's what sort of, uh, the new covenant came along and said, I'm going to give you help to do what you need to do. And I'm going to send you out into the nations, which was unlike what was done before, um, And so, this nation, the kingdom of God, is uh, to go and set up outposts all over the world. It will remain the nation of Israel in those outposts. uh, And it will eventually take over. We will win this battle. Uh, That doesn't seem very likely right now where the church is, especially in America, does it? Uh, But we will win this battle in the end. God will. Bring us the victory as his people. And it'll be so much better if we'll cooperate with him in in all of that. So, I couldn't figure out how to make my phone stay alive. And so it cuts out uh, every few minutes. What I want to do, I I think with most of the few minutes that I have, is to talk about, I, I love John Mark all the way through. He talks about new creation. New heaven and new earth. And that is kind of his, uh, his fundamental uh, image that he uses to say started with that uh, creation that was what God wanted. Haven't gotten back there since Adam and Eve, heading there again, uh, back to Eden. Uh, love that. I think it's necessary that we have it. I want to add to that, though, I want to uh, uh, get clearly into our mind this other Uh, image of the kingdom of God alright not so much kingdom language until you get to Abraham so it's all the way over in Genesis 12 Okay, it's 12 chapters in that the whole kingdom idea uh, begins and that's Israel is going to become God's kingdom and that is going to uh, be the group that brings all the nations who choose to do so uh, under God's kingship, and uh, that goes from Genesis 12 all the way from Revelation 22, when the capital of the kingdom of God, Holy Jerusalem, comes down onto the earth, and God Himself <laughs> rules among His people from Jerusalem. And so, I, I think we we must understand the importance of this whole kingdom. I was about to say metaphor. It's not a metaphor. Okay? This is the reality. Um, It's not just... And in fact, when we get to this, I'll talk more about this in the New Testament. But when we think about ourselves or the kingdom being here, you hear a whole lot of uh, language about kingdom work, hear a whole lot about the kingdom being within us. And so there it becomes sort of this metaphor. The kingdom is this inner thing of our desire and the spirit leading us to want to be, uh, to imitate God's will, to imitate God in our world. I want to say it is much uh, bigger than that. It is much more tangible than that. The kingdom is actually growing from Israel and us, the new Israel, across the entire world. Now, there are several places in the prophets where uh, Isaiah, and I'm thinking especially in Zechariah, uh, Daniel, the Messiah is going to come and rule over the entire earth. So Israel is going to expand and expand. And so you start off with Israel. And incidentally, it's an ethnic group. Did I talk about this last week? Um This is what the whole ancient world was like. In fact, you could argue that this is what the whole world was like up until a few hundred years ago. Basically, each nation was its own ethnic group. The United States was the first one, help me out with this, Lee, but I believe the first one to say, let's try a new thing and just bring all sorts of ethnic groups all together here into one, we used to call it a milk, a melting pot, uh, but let's try to uh, not have an ethnic center, but let's have a, some kind of other center. We chose the wrong one. Alright, we needed to choose uh, a center in God. I guess we chose one in democracy and freedom, uh, which has not been bad, right? But, um, The ancient nations were peoples, okay? So you had the Greek people. You had the Roman people. Now, they did what uh, Israel was supposed to do and sort of took over the whole world. Well, the Greeks did that before with Alexander the Great. But that's what was going on back then. And so a kingdom is a group of people, used back then an ethnic group, on a piece of land, all right? this This is a real kingdom. Uh, with a king, and hopefully a good king, because that's what lets the nations prosper. If you've got a good king, (laughs) your nation's going to be perhaps even good in terms of virtue, uh, but also strong and powerful and blessed and uh, prosperity, have prosperity and all of that. And so what I want to argue is that that was always the idea that God had. Israel is going to become this great nation. Now, what was said? Uh, what what did God think? What did the prophet Samuel say when the people first said, "Well, if we're going to compete in this world, we've got to have a king"? <coughs> what was the uh, response of Samuel to <coughs> that? They, they told Samuel, who was sort of the court prophet, you know, appoint us a king. We're going to have to have a king. And Samuel said, "You don't need a king." You don't need a king. Why? God is king. What happens if you do get the king? Yeah, he'll inscript all these people. Yeah, that's right. He's going to take your daughters into his harem. He's going to take your sons and put them in the uh, army to fight for him. He is going to uh, spend all your money on himself, on his palace. And uh, he's going to start looking after his own needs instead of your needs. This is a mistake. Uh they do it, God goes along. In fact, there's a tiny bit of tension here because you go from, there shouldn't be a king, this is a mistake, to, okay, I'm going to have a king after my own heart. Saul didn't work out, but David comes along and God says, uh, your son David, your, one of your descendants, is going to lead the people of Israel, lead my people uh, to rule over the whole world. Now, they're thinking, this is going to be great. (laughs) We're going to whip them, and those who, uh, who stay alive after we conquer their territories, they're going to become our slaves. They're going to become, you know, whatever we want them to become. They're going to serve us. It's kind of like colonizing the way nations used to do. And so these ethnic groups would still be here and there, but like the Romans did, uh, we would colonize all over the world and make them pay taxes and all sorts of uh, um, uh, food and you name it to them. And we will put our people in their cities to uh, to make sure that everything is our going our way. So that's what the Israelites thought about. And I'm pretty sure that's what um, God was thinking about is... <laughs> that Israel would truly become a great nation. It would be ethnic. And this was the big problem that, that came with the gospel. What did most of Israel, what did the mo- most of the Jews at Jesus' time say uh, when this whole idea of reaching out to Gentiles came up? No. No. If they're going to become Gentiles, they got to become Jews. And if they can't become ethnic Jews, which they can't, at least they have to become just like us in every other way. <coughs> and so if we're circumcised, if that's one of the things we got to do. They're going to have to do that. They're going to have to have Saturdays off. Not, not working. They're going to have to uh, keep the holy days. Uh, and, of course, Paul said, not going to happen. That's not what God has in mind. He's sending us out to the Gentiles. except Gentiles as Gentiles. So what happens is all those Gentiles come into the nation of Israel. If you'll read through your New Testament, you might be surprised at how often and how dominant is this whole idea of the church being, the people of God being, the followers of Jesus being, the new Israel. And it was actually true because the church began with what kind of people they were all jewish almost all of them were jewish for the first 20 years think about that this is not a non-jewish group and when they went out uh, when paul and others went out and preached to the gentiles they were invited to come join israel not as israelites not as jews but to be what God always wanted. And so the term Israel takes on a little bit different um, tone here. And it's one of the reasons we don't call ourselves Israel anymore. In fact, there are very few Jews among us. And so and to, for them to call themselves Israel, like instead of church or whatever, would have been difficult, be really difficult for us today. But I think it's a shame that that link, that connection has been lost. You know, there's people, what was it? Andy Stanley, who said we don't need the Old Testament anymore. I don't want to go, we can't be the church without the Old Testament. We're new Israel. All of those things that were promised to Abraham and to Israel, that's, that's what we're trying to do now. Our entire uh, reason for existence is to continue on that role, that purpose of Israel, which is to reach the whole world and bring them under God's kingship. Now the trick is, we're not going to do it. With spears, and with shields, defensive weapons, uh, and with, um, what else did they use? Bows and arrows, uh, whatever. We're not going to do it that way. We're going to overcome the world. We're going to beat them into submission with what? Love and, love and service, all right? That's our weapons. We're going to go out and love these folks into submission. They're going to come to love God the way that we do. They're going to experience the blessings Israel was always promised. The kingdom of Israel is someday going to be um, completed, come into its fullness and enjoy all of those blessings that God has uh, promised. Okay, is this too uh, Jewish for you? Is this, uh, this sound? I mean, I, I'm not saying we're Jews. I'm not saying we're Israel because that sounds ethnic, especially. Don't, don't tell your Jewish friends we're the new Israel uh, and you're not. Paul says some things like that, okay? Paul could do that. He's Jewish. All right? The early church, this was kind of an intra-Jewish squabble they were having. Right? This was not anti-Semitism. This was uh, Paul and the entire earliest church for two decades being Jews saying you other Jews, you non-believing Jews, you need to believe because your king of this kingdom has come. The one that the good God-loving David um, was supposed to be better at but the uh, descendant of David So this is who we are we're simply carrying on the purpose of God and so Jesus comes and what is his primary message says it again and again the kingdom of God is near has come Uh, coming soon or whatever and so we're going to talk a lot more about this again later on but Jesus said the kingdom is here because I'm here Uh, because the blind are seeing, because the poor are getting good news that everything's going to be reversed in the eschaton. Uh, But, uh, so you say, the kingdom is here. And then you say, is the kingdom here? Well, obviously not. Look at what's going on in the world. Children are being abused. People are being destroyed in war. Mm. Uh, Well, I've taken just about all of our time. So, the kingdom is already here, but what's here, it's enough to give us hope and enough to give us joy. But it's not nearly, as Paul says, what we're waiting on when the real kingdom comes in, when the full kingdom comes in. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you what the kingdom of God is. All right, you're so fortunate to have me teach you. I'm one of the few that knows this. The kingdom of God is the final kingdom of God where he rules across the entire earth every knee has bowed and it only comes when he is absolutely in fact Jesus the Messiah has come to destroy all the enemies all those forces of evil the powers behind Rome the powers behind the nonsense that's going on over there now in Israel with the Jews and the Palestine and the Palestinians um yeah. Do I, I don't know if I dare say this. When did the Jews of Jesus' day lose the land? Seventy A.D. 70 AD. Why did they lose it? They took off the Romans. They—that's right. They rebelled against the Romans, as if they were going to take on the Romans. What had Jesus clearly told them not to do? Don't use violence. Violence is horrible it's going to get you destroyed they did it anyhow they were destroyed what are they trying to do now and what are the palestinians trying to do now and what does the united states of america try to do now to make the world what we think it ought to be using violence Now, I don't have good answers to this. Lee, do you want to just jump in here? (laughs) Not not this time. All right. Uh, So it's fascinating when in their infinite wisdom, the United Nations created the nation of Israel in 1948. They gave them a land that people were already living on. I'm not saying that was a bad decision. I'm saying it's certainly a really messy one, and it hasn't worked out, and there's just been this such hatred... And uh, this desire to oppress even more. And so, the kingdom of God, we've become not an ethnic group. We're not just Jewish ethnically now. We're Jewish religiously. And you know, the only difference between us and Israel in terms of actually being able to carry out God's plan, we're just like, human nature hasn't changed at all. Israel failed. Adam failed. Noah's descendants failed. Israel failed. How are we supposed to keep from failing? Spirit of God. It's the only difference. We know that Jesus died for our sins. We've been given the Spirit of God. And that is supposed to make us more capable of being the true Israel that does across the world what we're supposed to do. Uh, And that is when with love, with just taking whatever is done to us (coughs) without fighting back and take over the world. Is it working? Not in the United States, but is it working across the world? Mm -hmm. There are over 2 billion Christians and it's just exploding in the global South. Over 2 billion. There may be 3 billion in another 40, 50 years. We're the ones who are out of step, the Western world. Uh it's doing very, very well. The kingdom is growing. We can thank God for that. Okay, I went over, we didn't have a chance to talk, and I'm sorry about that. We'll do better next week. That's how you take care of that. Right? <laughs> take the ball